Welcome to Dream Makers, candid conversations with women that will change the way that you see success, purpose, and what it takes to bridge the two. I call these women dream makers because they use their rebel nature to achieve their dreams and lift people and communities up. They simply can't have one without the other. And I want to learn how they do it so more of us can find purpose while pursuing growth. So we open up a bottle of wine and we talk. I'm Neha Sampad, a three-time tech founder and CEO with a focus on meaningful companies that are places to dream big, build up, and to be a good human. I'm CEO of Content Stack, a modern technology stack for digital content, and I'm also a certified sommelier, hence the wine. Today, I'm joined by Addie Schwartz, a fellow three-time founder and CEO. Addie is currently CEO of Reach Hire, helping companies expand their gender diversity pipelines, a topic that I'm especially very passionate about. Hi, Addie. Hi, Neha. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. You've had a very clear purpose throughout your career. All three of your companies focused on empowering women or girls. Talk to me about the moment that you knew that this is it and that this is what you were born to do. Well, it's been a journey and I have dedicated my career nearly 30 years focused on empowering women and girls and created solutions for them. I think my first Big aha moment was when I was on maternity leave with my first daughter, that's when it came to the fore that there needed to be more options and more flexibility for women. I really appreciate that both of us are multi-company founders and entrepreneurs, but also that we found our passion for entrepreneurship at such a young age. I knew I was an entrepreneur when I was a kid as well. And from lemonade stands to babysitting clubs to fangirl clubs for for the new kids on the block and other organizations. I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. So with that, let's pour ourselves a glass of wine, which I've already started. I opened the bottle when we were prepping for this. And the bottle that we have today is a 2018. I'm going to see if I can find a good spot where you can actually see the label here. It's a 2018 Chateau de Chantegrive, which is from the Grave region in Bordeaux. And um, it's a beautiful bottle. And the beautiful thing about this wine is it's from a region where it's typically a lot of red wines are known from the left bank of Bordeaux, but this is a a white wine. It's half Semillon, which is one of the varietals, and half Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc is a lot more well-known in the U.S. than Semillon. Semillon is typically used as a blending varietal, but it's delicious and has like a really crispness, a fresh minerality. This one in particular is aged in stainless steel for six months or more. So you get just on the nose, some of, I don't know if you get this, but I get like a little bit of floral qualities, like a honeysuckle or a jasmine. It's delicious. It's so good. And the freshness makes it seem like it's a total fair wine to drink in the middle of the afternoon. We will enjoy that wine and we'll also put it into the notes for the podcast for anyone who wants to try it. With that, let's talk about one of my favorite topics, which is the concept of rebels and you know what are, what are rebels and what are dream makers? And sometimes those are synonymous, but I'd love to hear from your perspective. Are you a rebel or dream maker and what makes you feel like you resonate with one of those? I love this idea of being a rebel and being a dream maker at the same time. We clearly know to make change, sometimes you have to break some glass. (laughs) So hence the rebel. But I think that Dream Maker resonates much more with me. And I feel like, though, that I'm not really working on a dream. I really want my dream to become a reality. And that is, you know, allowing more women to create their own 
narrative where work and personal life can coexist. And I've been dedicated to this since my first company, Bright Ideas, where before the internet, there was no options for women to really do anything flexible, part-time, or at home even. And I know that's hard for us to even imagine, but fast forward to 2021 uh, and you know the recent pandemic, understanding that everyone is working from home and juggling so many things where companies have to do much more to meet women where they are so that we can all achieve what we want to achieve and what we need to achieve in our both personal and professional lives. Absolutely. And it's interesting how the pandemic really shook all of us, but some good things may hopefully have come out of it and awareness about different needs from different people. And we're all kind of learning and kind of as we think about returning to the new normal, hopefully some of that will stick and there will be a better balance. This notion of how does work and personal life coexist is something that everyone you know, wrestles with, but women in particular. And we've seen that so powerfully in the last, you know, six to nine months, really. And Retire, the company I'm driving now, really tries to achieve that two different ways, both by, you know, helping women get an on-ramp back into the workforce if they've had to take time off, as well as helping women that are in the workforce, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Sometimes holding on with their, you know, fingernails, but hold on and survive and thrive. Can you maybe talk about some of the women that you've helped or tell a story about what actually happens when someone engages with Reach Hire? Sure. So a little bit more on our return to work offering. It's one thing to show somebody that, you know, that you can fix their resume or, have them learn how they talk more about their skills. It's another to actually put somebody in a job, have them learn on the job and increase their skills and improve their skills and have a chance, like a test drive at a new industry or new career. So two examples, one woman who her whole life changed in a split second. She suddenly was in a horrific car accident and lost her spouse. And she was pregnant with her, her, her child and sort of had to start all over again. She took time off to recuperate. She lost her husband. And uh, when she went back in to try to get back into the workplace, all doors were shut to her. She'd only been out two years. Wow. Two years, not like an extended break. And it wasn't a break she ever even expected or anticipated, but life happened and she had to maneuver around that. So. What happened with her is that she went from doing sales and we pivoted her into talent acquisition from pharmaceutical company into financial services company. Wow. Put her on a test drive for six months, recognizing that her skills could be repurposed in a different way. And she's been doing amazing in this new role, in this new company, in this new job, in this new industry. And it's all because we understood what her transferable skills were. We offer opportunity to come back in this environment, provided the support, the training, and uh, the on-ramp. And she's now off to the races. That's Another awesome. woman was out for 18 years. Oh, wow. Just to show you that the difference here. 
and she had worked at United Airlines. And she had to go back to work. She took time off because she had a severely disabled child and needed to take care of that child. That child grew up and then she absolutely needed to go back to work so that she could put their, that child in a state funded home and needed the income. Well, 18 years later, no one really wanted to hire her. And she was actually not even in a location where a airline could hire her, but we put her back in a, um, in a medical device company. Smart people, huge yeah. potential, need a break, need an opportunity with transferable skills, the support, believing in the person and the test drive. And that's what the return to work program is all about, giving people a second chance and partnering with those companies that are thinking more about a job description than just clicking the box. I love that. There's a few examples that I've kind of engaged with in the last year. One that stands out to me is an organization called SBA Academy that essentially helps train people on a specific trait. And we at ContentStack recently hired someone out of the Customer Success U program. It's called CSU that SBA Academy is sponsored. We were one of the co-sponsors of that initiative. And essentially it's helping underrepresented minorities come into the workforce and learn a specific skill set so that they can come into a role and excel in that role. And it's so far we've had, we've only had one uh, one person that we've brought into the company from the program so far, but it's been a great success. And she just got offered a full-time job at Content Stack, which we're super excited about. And the other thing, the first one example that you gave me that kind of reminded me of another situation is, you know, in the pandemic, a lot of teachers have been in a situation where they're used to being in the classroom and they like to be in the classroom and that's how they engage and thrive. And we have a person who was a third grade teacher who had to shift to remote learning in March at the beginning of the pandemic. And in the summer, she decided to intern with us. And in doing that internship, she took on doing some training programs. And in some ways, we kind of joked with her that training salespeople is kind of like training third graders. <laughs> and she thrived so well and was so well loved by the organization and the people that were learning from her that she ended up staying on as a full-time training and development person for content stack. So it's great to know that there's programs that actually help with those transitions and that help people get kind of a second chance. I think the other thing that's really cool and hats off to you and Constance Tech for doing this because we need more companies like that. But it's not just about the women. It's about the amazing capability and, and thumbprint that they can make on corporations and the benefit that corporations have in bringing these women into the fold and in, into their organizations. And so, you know, it's as powerful for the companies. And I feel like for the companies that we've been working with, they really view us as a partner in workforce planning because we can create a pipeline of alternative talent that's diverse, that comes with diverse perspectives and is bringing experience into the organization. So it's as good for the corporation as it is for the women. And not enough companies until recently have really understood the importance of that symbiotic relationship. And knowing that having a diverse workforce actually helps performance and helps your bottom line is becoming now a real topic in, at board meetings and in conversations. And there's a lot of data that proves that finally, right? Finally. So it's great to see that there's, there's ways to bring both of those needs together in a way that's a win-win situation. Tell me a little bit about what's been most difficult 
on your path and how you've been able to overcome that? The biggest challenge that I've seen is just getting more companies to really be on the same journey as retire, to really create more opportunities to help more women get back to work and also help more women grow and thrive and stay in the companies that they're in. We've made a good dent, but there's so much more work to do. And we need more companies to understand this and create a concrete set of pathways to grow, thrive, and actually even have the opportunity to come back. So, you know, I'm so proud of our partners like T-Mobile and Wayfair and Fidelity and other companies like Rocket Software and iRobot. They've done amazing work in really committing themselves to stepping up to the plate and making this happen. I learned the hard way, which was when I first started Retire, I started with the women first. And the problem was you can do everything for the women, but if they don't have the job, it doesn't really matter. They need the job. Yeah. It's a chicken and egg thing. Like you have exactly. to have both sides. It's a marketplace essentially. I have another question for you, Addie. So I like to think about entrepreneurs from the perspective of having superpowers. And I know that I have a superpower. I'm sure that you do too. I'd like to hear what yours is. I feel like I see problems that others don't recognize way ahead of when they come to the fore. So, you know, actually this week represents our eight-year anniversary of my founding Reach Hire. Congratulations. So when I was talking about back to work back in 2013, no one knew really what that was. And I feel like that that is sort of a invisible problem. All these women offer this opportunity to really leverage their superpowers, their intellectual capability and their diversity and their, you know, their experience, because many of them have many, many years of experience, both in corporations and then managing other situations in personal life that they can offer. And so I do think that my superpower is recognizing opportunity and re recognizing human potential. And I think that if you believe that an individual has huge potential and they just need it to be unleashed somehow, and you go in with it that way, you'll, you'll just, as an employer, just be able to take advantage of that and empower those people to be their best selves and really move the needle. And I see that, at least in my experience, there's a lot of underutilized talent and untapped talent in locations that you just don't necessarily think to look. And I think what's encouraging is in the world of the pandemic, we've learned that you can do most of what needs to be done work-wise remotely. A lot of it can happen while sitting in Utah or in some village in India. And I just this morning was hosting a diversity, you know, International Women's Day event trying to recruit more women to the company, the engineering office in India. And there were 40 women all gathered together on a Saturday to talk about how they would like to join a company like ContentStack. And it's so encouraging because some of them are dialing in from like super remote locations, little villages where you've never really dreamed of like having a tech job at a top growing, scaling tech company. And now that's all possible because of the connectivity that we have access to. And I think it's going to change the dynamic a lot. And employers that see that are going to benefit from it 
Well, I want to toast you, Neha, because let's do a toast here. Sure. Because you're like a CEO that's putting into practice what you believe and really making a pathway for all kinds of women. So hats off to you. Cheers and cheers to your eight years. Okay, so I'm going to jump to just the topic of entrepreneurship. And both of us are obviously very passionate about entrepreneurship. Sure. So the story of my beginning as an entrepreneur, roll back the time to, uh, to when I was 12. And I was taking Spanish and learning Spanish. And my Spanish teacher came in one day with a flyer and said, I'm going to take a group of students to Spain. You have to raise, it's going to cost $600 and for 18 days, by the way, <laughs> which is hard to imagine now. But, you know, each student uh, needs to raise some portion of the money, at least half of the money uh, and go at it. And I racked my brain and my dad one night, like soon after, came home after he was out with my mom and he's got a piece of pie that I had made in the fridge. And he said, you make a really good apple pie, Addie. You really make a good apple pie, better than those restaurants. And I was like, aha, maybe I should make some apple pies and give them to some of the restaurants in town and see if somebody would take my apple pies. Now that was back before they had all kinds of issues around, you know, health and, you know, making sure your <laughs> kitchens were safe. So they didn't have any of that. So I went and I made six pies and I had my mom drive me around and I walked into the restaurant. One of the restaurants I walked in to was at six o'clock on a Friday night, which is like a horrible <laughs> time to walk into a restaurant to try to sell anything. But what did I know? And um, I just said, hi, my name is Addie and I'm trying to raise money for a trip to Spain. wonder if you'd try my pie and if you liked it, maybe you could sell it and I could earn money to go to this trip for, to Spain. And three of the Three of the restaurants of the six said they would do it. And one of the restaurants two weeks in said, your pie's a real hit. We want 10 pies a day and 20 pies a day on the weekend. And it was like so much and oh it was goodness. crazy. And then I ended up enlisting my younger brother to help me with the dough making and, you know, all kinds of funny stories. I dropped one of the pies in front of a, one of the restaurants as I was delivering them. Again, how, how like embarrassing that my mother had to drive me because I didn't have a license, I was too young, drive me around to deliver my pies. And, and then my dad came home one day about 12 weeks in and said, this is enough. Like the kitchen is taken over by pie making and there's like no food. <laughs> so, so that was kind of the end. I, I could have been like the Debbie Fields of apple pies, but that kind of got squashed. But that was my first foray into being an entrepreneur. Do you still make pies, Addie? I do. In fact, actually... My first job out of college, I got a pie. I, I made a pie and I, I kind of feel like that cemented the deal with a company called Bain and Company on Sand Hill Road. That's awesome. And I definitely surpassed my goal of raising half the money in a very short period of time. Did you get to go to Spain? I did go to Spain. Good. At 12 years old. Yes. It's funny, we have so many parallels. I remember probably one of my most hustle moments was when I was trying to study abroad, but this was in my early days of college and I didn't have the money to do it. I, there was like no way, but I started to look at scholarships and I remember calling my dad and saying, I'm going to Paris and 
he was like, wait a minute. And I just, I remember the conversation because he's like, there's no money to send you to Paris. And I was like, and I figured out how I'm going to do it. And I literally had gone into a scholarship book and looked up all these weird scholarships. And one of them was for studying feminism in France. And the second one was for doing a paper on architecture in France. My paper on feminism in France was basically me and a friend of mine running around on scooters going to these like old wine caves. And we talked to like, we'd go to these wine caves, we're 19. So we didn't know anything about wine. But this is when I fell in love with wine. And we'd go and talk to the winemakers. And there were usually like old men that had like the stereotype of being very, very masculine. And, you know, just they did not know what these two American girls were doing in their little wine caves. And I remember like when I was asking questions about wine, I was trying to be really inquisitive and academic about it. They literally said to me, who's your father? Like assuming that I could not, as a woman, have my own interest in in a topic. I must be some like rich person's daughter or something. And so it was like a big eye-opening thing for me. But um, very good, very awesome that you were able to pull that off at such a young age. So, so respect that. So that's an interesting lead into what I really loved when we first met was your story about Beacon Street Girls. Can you talk about that? Beacon Street Girls was all about trying to create a brand for girls that was safe and positive and allowed them to see all the potential that was inside them between the ages of nine and 13. So it comprised a book series, which was 22 full-length novels about five seventh grade girls uh, living in a real town. It was fictional series, but based in Brookline, Massachusetts. And it was all about, you know, their trials and tribulations of growing up. Underneath that all, each book dealt with a different topic of adolescence, and I found an expert in each field, each topic that could weigh in and inform the fiction and the storytelling with real-life data about how we all realize and actualize ourselves so we become better people. And so the idea was to sort of, how do you lift up young girls and build their confidence. A lot of my research that I did way back then across the board with all kinds of girls at, at between the ages of eight and 13 showed that girls lose their confidence pretty significantly at the age of 10. So between eight and 10, they're like ready to conquer the world. And then between the ages of 10 and 13, something changes. Their bodies change, the environment changes, boys come into the picture and hormones and and society. And then by the way, fast forward, then they grow up. And when you talk about confidence and going and achieving your goals, if some of those things have been broken down at the age of 10 and 11, they're much harder to overcome when you're an adult. And so if you can build them up at those important ages, that's critical. And so the Beacon Street Girls was born and it was books, product and web a virtual junior high, again, well ahead of its time, kind of a safe Facebook for girls under the age of 13. And I created a world for girls that was safe, positive, and through storytelling could impact behavior. And the the big aha moment on that was that one of our books dealt with childhood obesity and a longitudinal study was done by Duke uh, Medical Center on the book to impact behavior on eating, health, and body image. And it proved that girls that read the book changed their behavior. And that got us into the New York Times health section, 
the USA Today, and the study was reported in the National Academy of Pediatrics. So and it was the first book of its time to actually show that reading could impact behavior. That's awesome. So that was a bright idea, but tell us a little bit more about bright ideas. <laughs> so bright ideas I started when I was on maternity leave with my first daughter, Eliza, and the whole goal was to create an opportunity for tech-savvy moms to stay involved, stay engaged, build their skills, and make flexible income while they were at home with their first or second child. And we did have some men do it, but it was mostly women. But back in 1992, when I started it on maternity leave, from a spare bedroom, I didn't raise any capital. I wrote the business plan, and we actually were renting a house. So the person we were renting our house from was a CEO, and I asked him for advice and to be a mentor. And uh, my husband, the company my husband was working for, the CEO that that he worked for, I asked him to provide advice, and I was off to the races. So that was my first foray into formal corporate entrepreneurship. But it was all about creating an opportunity for women that was flexible. It was around educational software, which is a new budding industry. It was helping moms and schools and teachers do a better job of integrating technology in the classroom and in their homes, right at a time where technology hardware was coming down in price. So computers were just getting into homes more dramatically and where software could teach without being like DOS or Mac, you know, it was really like all about sound and light and early learning. Can you tell me about, I think we all have a moment that kind of pushes us over, over the edge or maybe gives us some courage. What do you think is your just do it moment? Well, I think my just do it moment was sort of thrust on me. I don't think it was something that I created or designed. And that's what happens to all of us, right? That life happens and it's how we respond. So my daughter was injured in a car accident that I actually was the car driver in. And I had to take a year out of the workforce to help my family recuperate. In fact, what happened was a couch fell off a truck on a major highway. um, And I ran into the couch going 65 miles an hour. So we got out of the car upside down. My younger daughter had a pretty serious head injury and needed to take a year out of school in order to recuperate. And so I went with her and helped her on her journey took time out of my career in order to help her get back. And when I did that, I saw all the women that were sitting on the sidelines and I said, we need to do better on this. This is an invisible problem that we need to help women create an on-ramp for. And we need to do this in a way that's thoughtful, intentional, and systematic. And that's how Reach Hire was born. That's an amazing story. And it's heartbreaking to know not only what you went through, but that that's something that a lot of women go through. And if we just look back on the last year and the pandemic and the situation where a lot of people were moved from careers to caregiver positions, even just for something as simple as like making sure that their kids are able to log into their virtual school environments and classrooms, that was mostly women, right? It wasn't often the men that would take time off from their careers. And it is a, it, it, like you said, we have to do better. And we're still, I think we kind of took a little bit of a step back and Melinda Gates said it in 2020 that because of the pandemic, women have all the progress that we've made, there will be a little bit of a 
two step, you know, one step forward, two steps back as a result of this. I have one important question I want to make sure I get to, but before I do that, I know you also want to talk about Aurora. So maybe like a little bit of your path from where you are now and talking about Aurora and what's next for you. Okay. Sounds good. So we have been putting women back into the workplace for eight years at major corporations and we do it in groups. We have a systematic approach and it dawned on me about two and a half years ago, there's not enough support for those women that are just starting out and for those women that are mid-career. They need more. They need more support. They need, need more community. They need a safe place to be able to talk about what they're going through. They need to be able to problem solve. And so I created, as a good entrepreneur, Aurora, which is a digital SaaS platform aimed at helping women in their careers thrive and rise. It's an offering aimed at businesses to provide a turnkey solution for women to grow, thrive, and rise. And so we have four content tracks for early career women, women mid-career, women on the maternity journey, and women of color. Those are pain points, pain points at individual career ages and stages and who you are that make you get thwarted, that stop you in your career. How do we do better? And so all that great learning that we've learned over the last eight years poured it into a digital platform that's turnkey that enables more women to move up the ladder so that they don't leave that they're able to figure out a way of making it all work. So we do it in groups, just like we do on our return program. And we have a guide, just like we have a program manager. And there's just a lot of synergies and learnings that we're able to put so that more women grow and thrive. We really do need more of that. And I appreciate all your contributions personally. I want to ask you one more important question, and that is, how do you define success? So I feel like success for me personally is enabling other women to have the confidence and the opportunities to determine what success is for themselves. Because what you think, Neha, is success running this major corporation that is killing it, that's really a rock star and you're a rock star, to somebody who really defines success differently. So success is different for each and every one of us. We each have our own journey. But empowering that individual to be the best they can be and bring their best selves and take advantage of all that has been given them, that's what success is to me. Thank you. Okay, we're going to move into one of my favorite parts of this, which is the rapid fire. And I'll ask you a few questions and just give me the answers that come to you. Let's start with this. What is your wake up song? Okay, remember that song, Happy? By Farrell Williams. <laughs> happy, happy, happy. <laughs> like, I feel like attitude is everything. And let's talk about the glass here. When you think of the glass half full, <laughs> maybe yeah. it should be more than half full, or maybe it's half empty. I don't know, because we're drinking. So it's fun. But I feel like happy. So it's about bringing your best, most positive self to every situation. And when things get tough, look on the bright side. Okay, if your 19-year-old self asked you today what they should read or what they should listen to, what would you suggest? There's a great book called Designing Your Life, How to Build a Well-Lived, Joyful Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. 
And that's a great book. It's all about actualizing who you are and what you want to do and digging deep. Can you recommend a wine? Okay. So it's really dangerous to recommend a wine to a sommelier (laughs) who knows much more about wine than most people, (laughs) including me. But the wine that I'd recommend is the Aurora wine from Cellar Door Winery. And it's a soft, red, aromatic blend. I'm sure you have a lot more descriptors that you can say. I'm going to send you a bottle. And I want you to tell me more about what you think about it. But I like it because it's the name of the platform. (laughs) Um, I like the taste of it, but it's also the name of our platform. And it's all about the Aurora Borealis and reaching your potential and the exosphere and really pushing beyond your limits. And so that speaks to me. Aurora is such a powerful name. I do love that. What should our listeners do tomorrow to help them to become dream makers? Well, the number one thing I think is to find someone who believes in you. And I feel like a lot of research shows that people who achieve and have really satisfied lives, have someone that believed in them along the way, whether it be a brother, a parent, a teacher, a coach, someone, but someone who believes in you and grab onto them and don't let them go. (laughs) They'll help you become the best person you can be. And for me, that person is my husband who's let me do my three companies and kind of realize my dream to help more women realize their own potential. Thank him for all of us, for everything that you do. It's important to have a champion and whoever that champion is for you, keep them is a really good advice. (laughs) I want to thank you all so much for listening to our Dream Makers podcast. And I want to thank you, Addie, for being such a gracious guest. And it was a really good time. I'm glad we got to spend this time drinking the wine together. Thank you so much, Neha. It was such a pleasure. You're such an inspiration. Thank you so much for showing women everywhere how much can be achieved. You can reach out to me, Neha Sampat, on Twitter at NehaSF. That's N-E-H-A-S-F. With comments, suggestions, your favorite wake-up song, favorite wine, or a dreammaker woman I should know. Please also leave a review and subscribe to Dreammakers wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, keep dreaming big, building up, and being a good human. Thank you.